Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Everything Under the Sun is sponsored by NHTSA. Sadly, in 2020, 24 children died of pediatric vehicular heat stroke, and many of those incidents occurred when parents or caregivers simply forgot the child was in the car. A child's body temperature rises three to five times faster than an adult's. So if you see a child unattended and you can't locate their parents, call 911. If the child looks unresponsive, do whatever it takes to get him or her out safely, including breaking the window. Your actions could save the life of a child. From AccuWeather.com, this is Everything Under the Sun. It's our weekly podcast featuring in-depth interviews with experts from AccuWeather and from around the world, bringing you behind-the-scenes information, stories, and news on the weather, climate change, and the outdoors, covering topics from the worlds of science, sports, and space. It's all the information you need to weatherproof your life. And now, here's the host of Everything Under the Sun, AccuWeather meteorologist, Dean DeVore. And welcome in, friends. It is episode 13 of our summer series. Yes, well, not unlucky 13. I was born on the 13th of June, so I believe that the 13 is a lucky number. But we've got a lot of great information in this episode. Is Friends, don't you feel it? Summer is slipping away. In fact, you know, next weekend is the Labor Day weekend, and we were talking in the office this week about how in our lifetimes, me, a guy in the mid-50s, I can remember that Labor Day was such a big part of family vacation, the last one before really things got going. But now school starts so much earlier, early August for some, and here we go. And actually now Labor Day next week has become the unofficial start of, what, college football season more than the last weekend of summer. But anyway, in this important last weekend before Labor Day where a lot of folks still trying to squeeze out a little bit of summer vacation will try to weatherproof your life. At the end of our podcast, Bill Dager will join me to talk about the weather for this upcoming weekend and the week beyond. We'll talk with Liz Bentley, Chief Executive of Armets, our great collaboration with them, partnership with Armets about Weather Photographer of the Year, and we're into a new phase of that contest for 2021. In our first race of focus, we're going to talk about travel. Andy Gross from AAA is up next. Friends, sit back and relax. It's time to talk about everything under the sun. So I'm recording this here in uh, the Poconos here in northeastern Pennsylvania as we uh, take a couple of days off here, the last uh, little vacation before my schedule gets even crazier with the addition of sports announcing for Penn State coming up with Penn State football and Penn State women's volleyball, field hockey, and others just around my corner. So, you know, travel and spending some time away, trying to beat the heat that's building in the Northeast uh, that's been around for the last couple of days. We'll get a little break for this weekend. We'll talk about that at the end of the podcast. But traveling is at a premium right now. I think a lot of people are either positioning kids at school uh, or trying to get in some last-minute vacation vibes. Well, 
What about travel? Seeing some issues out on the road that I've been seeing over the last several weeks, including my summer travel and how things may look ahead for the upcoming holiday travel period. It's time to check in with our friend Andrew Gross, national spokesperson of AAA, about some travel trends that we're following here on Everything Under the Sun. Well, Andy Gross, it is good to have you on the show here again as we uh, wind down summer. It's hard to believe. I mean, the last time we talked, we were getting ready for the 4th of July. Um, I've got a lot to talk to you about because uh, some new interesting studies recently out from AAA here in terms of our travel patterns and and things that we've been noticing um, around uh, this last uh, several months here as we kind of come out somewhat of the pandemic, although uh, new restrictions are coming in some areas and others are uh, are, are seeing a little bit of a more of a restrictive situation, but we can talk about that in a minute. But I wanted to kind of get a sense from you as we head to Labor Day, which, you know, used to be a huge holiday. Uh, and now I kind of feel the way we've gotten the calendars a little bit out of whack now with everybody going back to school that I know of even before Labor Day. I mean, I think 90%, certainly all colleges really are, are now starting before Labor Day. And I think most high schools, in fact, some areas of the country start as early as early August going back to high school. So talk a little bit about the Labor Day holiday, maybe some things that we noticed from the July 4th holiday travel, any trends? Um, what do we think about Labor Day? Uh, is that Am I right? Is it not as big a travel holiday as it say was maybe five, 10 years ago? Or longer. But yeah, um, you're absolutely right about Labor Day. Uh, and thank you for having me on. <laughs> uh, Labor Day, the Labor Day weekend used to be a really big deal. You know, when we were younger, school didn't start till after Labor Day. No. So Labor Day was a lot of times the last hurrah for the great family vacation. In fact, I used to have now, friends that, that didn't get back to the first day of school because they went somewhere really cool and right. And they, yeah, that's right. Uh, school, I've got colleagues who, who kids started school on the 9th of August. Now, that's, if I was yeah. that kid, I, I would be my so summer miserable. go, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so for that reason, you know, we used to do, AAA used to do a Labor Day uh, travel forecast. We right. stopped doing that seven years ago because the the Labor Day of yesteryear is no longer. Now mm-hmm. it's just more like a three day weekend. You go yeah. where you can go in three days, but you got to get back because Tuesday the kids are back in school again. Let's talk about some of the some of the trends that AAA found in terms of some generalities about how travel patterns have changed here in the last 18 months or so? Uh, Great question. Um, You know, every year, uh, the AAA Foundation for Traffic Safety does something called the American Driving Survey, which is basically what it sounds like. They talk to folks and they analyze their driving habits. You know, how far do you drive? Where do you go? Things like that. And during the time that you know, we we did it for 2019, 2020. It was right during the depths of the pandemic. So we were able to compare pre-pandemic to pandemic time period. So we were able to see this immediate drop off. I think it was April. Uh, the number of people who stopped hitting the road, it dropped by like 40 percent. It was really it was really noticeable. And then it began to slowly recover. But at no point in all of 2020 did uh, people hit the roads again like they like they were before. And that's basically because of job commuting. People just were working from home more. Uh, And early on in the pandemic, there was just that fear. So everyone was just like staying home, you know, like ordering in groceries, doing all that and just kind of not leaving the house. But we even saw that folks 
you know, like there was a decrease in people who went out to go for a walk, <laughs> things like that. Right. They were they were really hunkering down. Now that gradually began to ease up, but we have not recovered. We had not recovered as of December. Now we don't know what's going on right now because we're currently you know, going through those numbers now. Anecdotally, I think too, the the, the patterns of timing has changed too. I mean, um, certain cities are back to normal on a morning drive time. And that may be interesting to, to study here in the next, uh, you know, couple of months where we are in terms of drive time traffic, morning versus afternoon. Is it the same, worse, different, those kinds of things? Yeah. The, the, uh, the American driving survey that we're conducting now will will encompass that. So we'll be able to see it when people say like, well, this is the time of day I'll be traveling. I've been traveling, how that has changed, you know, how have our lives, you know, sort of how have we altered and adapted our lives around the pandemic? Cause it's still going on, but, but people are maybe a little more comfortable about traveling or, or they're, or they're vaccinated and they've got their masks. So they're figuring out, well, I can go here, I can go there. So it's going to be kind of interesting when we look at those numbers next year. Here is the one that I think is shocking. Less cars, less trips, and more accidents and more fatalities. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration did uh, look at the numbers from last year, and they and they found that 38,600 people were killed on the roads. That's a 7% increase over 2019. And it's just it's counterintuitive. It's like, wait, there are fewer people on the road, but the deaths went up 7%, which statistically is a lot. Um, and, and you're right. We, no one really knows why, but we all, we do know one of the key factors involved was speeding. Speed. Yeah. Yeah. Speed. Speed is, was a big issue now it, because are there fewer people on the road? Is it easier to speed because you, you really don't have a, a flow of traffic around you. So suddenly you're not really held ba- held in check by someone in front of you. There is, there's no, there's no traffic around you for you to sort of gauge your speed on. So if you're suddenly on a wide open road, it might be a little easier for to start ticking up 5, 10, 15 miles per hour. And all that makes a big difference, particularly since our AAA research has shown that at speeds above 56 miles per hour, that's the point where you have outstripped your car's ability uh, to protect you in, a, in an accident. And at 56 miles per hour, that's when you're all those airbags and all those things around the car. So the physical, you, the physical things of the car. Now yeah, I will, 56. I will say, yeah. yeah, so exactly who drives 56 on a highway. You know, I just upped my game on my car. It's got everything. It's driver assist. It's got, you know, the, uh, you know, intuitive, cruise control, which for me helps. I mean, if I'm not paying attention, it's not, I'm not going to come up on the back of somebody. And, and also uh, when I took that trip up to, to, to Cape Cod back in July, I almost got cut off at least four times, you know, when people not paying attention or maybe relying too much on their vehicles to tell them when stuff was there rather than actually taking a peek in your rear view mirror or your side view mirror, you know, thinking the, the, the car is going to protect you. I don't know. That's one of the things we have found that when folk, when people purchase a car and the branding and marketing of that car kind of touts the, the autonomous driving aspects of the car, uh, you know, the folks, a lot of the drivers will sort of think, oh, well, the car can kind of handle this situation. And we know from our research that you still have to pay attention. You still have to kind of keep your hands near the wheel. This is not the time to be texting or looking around or watching a movie. You have to pay attention because your your car is an amazing thing. This technology is great, but it 
you know, it can't differentiate if that deer is going to jump out in front of you or if that's a mattress on the road ahead of you. Oh, you mattresses, yeah, you, yeah, a lot exactly. of uh, blown road tires. Debris. At least once a day, I come up on, you know, tire uh, treads from the trucks, especially that have blown and and are and have and have uh, been littered. And those things, you can come up so quickly if it's just happened or, you know, nobody wants to get out there and, and remove it. So and then all of a sudden, you know, you're speeding or whatever and you're following too closely and you don't see it coming up yeah it's it's and it and it's caused fatalities i saw a 10 year old youngster was uh, killed after a rock crashed through her windshield so i mean and that wasn't something thrown that was just a a, a piece of debris that got caught up by a tire and into the windshield so yeah this is something i think we're going to interesting to see when the new uh, survey that you guys do comes out to to see some of these answers and some of these reasons i think we have intuitive ideas of why it's happening but maybe we'll get some harder data yeah it, well it'll be interesting to see also if some of the things that really dropped and haven't really recovered like ride share and taxis if well, those yeah. begin to recover a little bit because people still aren't super comfortable about jumping into a ride share quite yet, particularly now with the Delta variant sort of surging again. Um, what about uh, airlines? Yeah, it's a slow recovery. And uh, that's I think that's why we're seeing almost 90% of people traveling are still going by car because it's uh, because say, say you get a, a plane ticket and it's pretty well priced and there's no problems with your flight. You may get to the end of that flight, but oh, there's no rental car there for you. So so that, then you're left trying to get one of those yeah. ride shares that you're you're struggling to because there are fewer ride share drivers and the prices have gone through the roof. So I think a lot of people are looking at that and they're saying, you know what? I'm going to take the car and because I because I can there's more control that way, too. And it, it just generally is making people feel safer at this point. Anything going on here as we wrap up? Well, you know, one thing we're always trying to remind people of, because you're right, you know, people kind of got a little rusty last year if they didn't hit the road so much. Right. So now, they're, now they're hitting the road. And we want to remind people again about the slowdown move over laws, because they're in all 50 states now and the District of Columbia. And. When you're driving down the highway, if you see something ahead on the shoulder of the road, don't wait to figure out what it is that's up there. Is it, you know, is it, is it police? Is it fire? Don't do the mental calculation in your head. Just go ahead, slow down, move over one lane, give those folks room to work. Cause we've recently lost two tow truck drivers who were killed oh, wow. tragically while they were working to assist drivers who had broken down on the side of the road. It's dangerous business for police, fire, tow truck drivers, just anybody even just changing a tire. Give folks room to work. That's all we're asking. Just put that in your head. Andy, always great to talk to you. Um, we'll check in again, I think, when we get into the fall as we get ready for um, that uh, travel season, especially when we get to the uh, winter holidays, which <laughs> I know it's not even the end of summer officially, but here we are already thinking about the fall and, and winter and time flies when we're having fun. Andy Gross, thank you for being with us here on Everything Under the Sun. You can follow Andy on Twitter at TV Media AG. And again, thanks to our friends at AAA. Uh, friends, I can't tell you how many times myself, my family, my friends have been helped out by AAA, including recently over the last few years, using them as uh, getting to uh, my great uh, auto insurance situation. And it is an amazing company. And thanks to Andy and AAA for partnering with us here at AccuWeather for these periodic updates with some amazing information. Another favorite guest of mine is coming up in our next segment as we get ready for an exciting acceleration of a new phase of the Weather Photographer of the Year contest with the Royal Meteorological Society, partnered with AccuWeather 
Our Mets chief executive, Dr. Liz Bentley, talks about the fan voting phase that is starting now. That's up next on Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Whether you're at home getting ready for work, packing the kids' lunch, or commuting, listen to AccuWeather Daily. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, and you'll get the top trending weather story of the day every day. Welcome back to Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. I'm your host, meteorologist Dean DeVore. It is a pleasure to be with you. I want to point back to a few of our episodes in the past as some of those first rays of focus segments continue to be very relevant, including air quality and uh, COVID and how that continues to be something we hear about and also other situations that we've been talking about, the wildfire situation, our climate change situation in terms of how that's affecting the weather and our patterns. Uh, Just keep checking back in and some of these great episodes of the past week still relevant today. As we go forward again in our last segment, we'll take a look at the weather for the upcoming week and in the week beyond. But right now, it is my pleasure to welcome in Dr. Liz Bentley, Chief Executive of the Royal Meteorological Society, once again partnering with AccuA to present the Weather Photographer of the Year contest for 2021. And my friends, it's time to get the fans involved and get their voting. It's that time of the year and this contest that gets really exciting. We welcome Liz into Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Liz, so great to welcome you back to Everything Under the Sun. Um, You know, as we always do, we're going to get caught up on our Great partnership with Armets and AccuWeather and this Weather Photographer of the Year contest. And we'll get an update about that. But when we give you on, I always like to get a good perspective of what's going on across the pond. Uh, we are so, you know, America, maybe North American focused here on everything under the sun. So what we were just talking about a little bit before we started the formal recording is some of the amazing kind of um, similarities to events that have been going on here in the United States. And then there are uh, similar events that have been going on in Europe. These are things, and we've been talking about this in the in the recent podcast with some of our uh, folks, including our hurricane expert, Dan Kotlowski, is we call them teleconnections. So in other mm-hmm. words, we see something in one part of the world and we then see a similar event in another part of the world. Um, I know amazing flooding in Germany and Belgium and a quick study about how they are figuring that that kind of flooding event uh, is been nine times more likely now because of the way global warming is unfolding that we're seeing. So talk a little bit about that study. Yeah. So attribution studies, I guess, is a relatively new part of climate uh, climate science. So it's been happening, probably something that's been developed over the last decade. And, you know, you go back five years, an attribution study may, may take two or three years to come out and be published. And, you know, the event's long gone. But now they're happening much more in on the quite not real time, but certainly within a few days or possibly a week or so of the event happening. And this one came out this week looking at the floods that happened in Europe uh, last month and yeah I mean was very evident that um, you know that event had had the fingerprints of climate change all over it really so nine times as you say nine nine times more likely to have happened because of climate change so all attribution studies are quite simply um, basically you take the model with all the human induced greenhouse gases in them so the world as it is today and you take it without the greenhouse gases that we as humans have put in the atmosphere and you see whether you can get these scenarios that are being played out whether it's extreme rainfall events or extreme heat you see whether how likely it is or how, how more likely it is because of climate change and and that's what this study's done now 
this is early in the lifespan of these quick turnaround attribution studies. And, you know, I'm not trying to throw doubts on them, but but we're early on in this process. I mean, we may find that the numbers that we're putting in aren't exactly right. I think what these are saying is 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 a good message, though, to people that, you know, there is definitely a factor if it's truly nine times. So that's pretty concerning, obviously. And that means that, you know, in the growing years, we may see an exponentially more amounts of these kind of off the chart weather events. And I mean, I don't know if that number nine times is correct, but any multiple over one or two is pretty concerning, right, Liz? Yes, absolutely. I mean, the message is that, you know, these events are more likely to happen, whether they're nine times or sometimes, you know, they're, they're, they're 100 times more likely. But whatever the number is, they're more likely to happen because of climate change. And it's interesting as well. I mean, again, just looking at the weather patterns that we've had over this summer, we've, we've very much had these kind of blocking situations. Mm. So the jet stream's been quite wavy and high pressure systems have remained fairly stationary and low pressure, which, you know, the low pressure's bringing the torrential rain. And again, we've seen that across Tennessee. We saw that across Europe. And the high pressure's bringing the heat waves and the wildfires. And they're not moving very far, very fast. And that's no. happening both across North America, but across Europe, that's that's certainly a, a similar pattern, a similar setup that we've had to, to both continents this summer. Yeah, I think if you ask five people what this summer has been like in certain places here in the United States, I mean, you're going to get all kinds of answers. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out as we get longer in the tooth here towards yeah. fall and winter. And What's um, interesting for me, so that since we last spoke, the, the IPCC report, so the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, brought out their sixth assessment report, and it was quite a stark report. It, it looks at how climate has already changed if you look past recent decades, but also projections of how it's likely to change based on kind of scenarios of greenhouse gas emissions. But it, this has all come out at the same time as we've got clear evidence of all these examples of extreme weather events that have been happening right around the world and the, the climate change signatures. So you've got the science report coming out, but you've got reality playing out, you know, all around the world, you know, different, I think there were seven different countries all broke their national temperature record this summer. So it's not just one or two isolated events. It's it's pretty much widespread around the globe. And certainly something that folks at our Mets and our American Meteorological Society in conjunction with the great weather enterprises that we have around the around the world with uh, this great public-private partnerships. We have many countries still looking at trying to solve these problems and, and, and get the best information to people. We're talking to uh, ARMET's chief executive, Dr. Liz Bentley, who's been with us uh, now the last couple of years because, uh, once again, we are partnering with the Royal Meteorological Society, uh, sponsoring the Weather Photographer of the Year contest. Submissions are in. Yeah, so, well, the comp competition continues to grow, which is great news for us. Um, so we had 8,900 entrants, so 8,900 8, images submitted wow. from 3,300 photographers. So both of those numbers are up. And photographers from right around the world, so from 114 different countries. Wow. So a That's real great. global competition. That's Fantastic. Easy. So we, we, we introduced the Young Weather Photographer the Computer a couple of years ago now. Right. So that's been okay. running a little while and continues to grow. And that's fantastic to see because, yeah. again, yeah. the images coming from the, the younger group. This year, we, we noticed um, not just images of the weather, but the impact that climate change is having. So there were many more images that are providing, you know, flooding events and drought events uh, and, and that being depicted through through photography. So I think it's playing out both in that younger generation, but also, for, you know, 
different generations and certainly through this competition. Yeah, but, but this year, Dean, we had a new category. So right. this is for um, mobile devices, uh, mobile phones, you know, smart devices. Uh, and that was a really popular uh, category this year. So we had 3,250 entries just for that category. And well, some of those were absolutely spectacular. I mean, that is the new norm. I mean, everybody's carrying that around. And, and honestly, the quality of that sometimes. In fact, that was the kind of the impetus of this from last year, because some in the, you know, in the main competition before we kind of had a separate little category. I mean, some of those were off of these kinds of devices and it was hard to tell that it wasn't just a professional photographer taking that. Yeah, absolutely so. And and I think we recognized that in, in last year's competition and wanted to kind of do something about it this year. So introduced a new category and it's been as popular as we had hoped for, which is great news. So we, we did the judging competition over the, of the, of the competition over the summer and we've now shortlisted down to 21 entrants. Right. So let's just catch people up. So the entries are in, the judges from the Weather Photographer of the Year contest that uh, our Mets picks, including our own Jesse Farrell, yeah. who uh, here at AccuWeather, I think his second year he's been judging. So they are pouring over. Now, are you in the midst of judging or have you finished your judging? So we we finished that. We okay. uh, we completed the judging during July and we met virtually, um, uh, as we have to, I guess, in these, right. in these days and, uh, and partly to get Jess in as well, you know, from, from the U.S., uh, so we met virtually and we, we spent about four hours going through the three different categories. So it was quite a long, drawn out process. We'd each made our own kind of shortlist anyway, but we right. came together to come to some consensus and a decision. And now we're ready to share that with the public. So the shortlist, we won't announce the winners until October, but the shortlist for the main competition will be, has been opened. So we, we opened that on the uh, 26th of, of August. So this Thursday just gone. Uh, and that now remains open until the 23rd of September. So there's about a month um, where the public can vote for their favourites. The, the one, the one difference this year with the shortlist is we've included all the captions. Okay. So, so last year the captions weren't available until we announced the winner in in uh, in the autumn time. But this year we've put them up. So actually, when you get to look at the image, you don't just see the image; you get the story behind the image Ooh. when you can vote, which is really important with some of these. So you get to understand where it was taken. You know what what the the kind of story that the photographer tells in getting and capturing that image, which really does bring some of those uh, images to life. So so there's an added bonus, I think, when we, we look at the vote this year. Yeah, because I think the story and the context actually makes a difference. So again, like just to make sure that people understand the actual judging by the the Armets folks and the, and the panel of judges is done. Yeah. What we're after now over this month of voting is kind of the public perception, the public vote without the public knowing the final result, they know, the, as you said, the short list of 20, that one of those 20 is the weather photograph of the year. So now it's up to the public to see uh, if they kind of concur, which is kind of fun. Yeah, absolutely. And, and every year the public vote has been different from what the, the judging panel has gone for. And but it will be interesting this year if you if the the judges will uh, would normally see a caption so they get some story behind it which has helped to kind of steer our decision sure. now the public also get that so it'll be interesting this year to see if the public concur with our view based on that 
extra kind of caption and information that we had available to us. Right. So, so, both, so both, we'll both groups now have will have the same information yeah. in, in front of them. Do you have 20 of each category or is it the 20 total and some of the other categories, the breakaway categories are included in that 20? So the public vote is just for the main overall weather photographer of the year category. Okay. We don't do this for the young uh, weather photographer or the, um, the the smart camera digital category that we've got. So it's purely the, the main category. And there are 21 that we shortlisted. So 21 seems an odd number, but we ended up with 21 in the end. <laughs> um, uh, and there's such a range of images. So as we do each year, you know, you've got some really dramatic images, but you've also got the benign weather, the really beautiful beautiful, stunning images. And and each year, we always talk about this, don't we, Dean? There's images that you can keep looking at. And every time you come back, there's something slightly different that you see in that image. So yeah, it, I, don't, I don't want to cloud this year, at least in this when we talk. But I think I'd like to talk to you right before we get to that that deadline here in about three weeks. And yeah. maybe we can pick a couple of highlights and, and, and see what's going on there. But I think it's also a good tool to teach people about weather. And I think that's certainly our goal. We're, we're always trying to teach because within teaching, we have better understanding and I think better uh, preparedness for people to get understand what the weathers and dangers are with the beauty too. I mean, kind of juxtaposition of danger and beauty. And, and that's what the weather is all about, Liz. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, it, it, you know, it helps us to have that conversation we love to talk about the weather but when you see images the beautiful images the dramatic images it not only sparks that conversation but it introduces questions people will often ask well how how can that beautiful cloud formation happen and again some of the stories some of the captions will will help to go into that detail so people will find out a little bit more about the different and wonderful and weird weather that we have around the world can you read off that website where people need to go? And then again, we'll put this down in the notes. Yeah, so it's photocrowd.com forward slash W-P-O-T-Y. So Weather Photographer of the Year vote. So W-P-O-T-Y vote. Yeah, that W-P-O-T-Y uh, has been a um, thing that we've used as a hashtag too, right? When people are yeah. tweeting and they're, that kind of stuff, that uh, hashtag W-P-O-T-Y, Weather Photographer of the Year. So photocrowd.com slash... W-P-O-T-Y vote. All one word, W-P-O-T-Y vote. We're going to go to that uh, right now. See, I'm typing that right in. Oh, yeah, it takes me right there. And um, oh, oh, my goodness, such beautiful images. I'm not, I'm Sarah, I'm not going to spoil it because I've already seen two <laughs> that I might vote for right there. So <laughs> we, we, I will want to talk to you again in three weeks and give that final push for this vote. Because I know we've been excited too. That's number's been growing year by year in terms of the people that kind of get involved in, in this vote too, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, the public vote keeps growing each year and I'm, I'm hopeful it will and confident it will again this year. Uh, and again, uh, you know, I think a, a combination of the spectacular images, but including some captions and information behind it will probably make it of even more interest to, to those who want to, to find out a bit more. Okay, so again, the voting has just started, and we're going to go, what, to the September 23rd? Is that what you said? That's right. So it closes on midnight. That's British summertime midnight um, on the 23rd of September. Um, 
I'll do the, uh, so that yeah. would be 8 p.m. the evening before, Eastern right? Time. Yeah, yeah, Eastern time. Okay. Liz, it's always great to talk to you. Uh, we will talk in about three weeks. How about that? Yeah. We'll put it on Perfect. our calendar and get a little update on the public vote and maybe talk a bit about the ones, a few of those that have caught our fancy. Thanks so much for your information. And we really love the partnership with Armets and AccuWeather for Weather Photographer of the Year. Thanks so much. Great. Thank you. So again, as this podcast is dropping here on this Friday, it is the beginning of this period of being able to publicly vote. And the really easiest way to get this done is go first to the rmets.org site, rmets.org. And right at the front page there, you'll see Weather Photographer of the Year 2021, as we've got then that website that uh, Liz mentioned, photocrowd.com slash W-P-O-T-Y-V-O-T-E, W-P-O-T-Y vote. Again, photocrowd.com slash W-P-O-T-Y-V-O-T-E. Now, again, you can just go to rmets.org. We'll have that information on it. And go to our notes down in your podcast uh, situation there, your podcast player. The notes section will have this website as well. We are so excited. And again, we'll check in with Liz towards the end of the voting period and see and maybe go through some of these amazing photographs, a little detail, maybe a few of these amazing backstories. Friends, the weather has been amazing, sometimes in a good way and many times in a bad. We've had a lot of a uh, lot of uh, tough weather here of late. And um, this weekend before the Labor Day weekend is a very important one. As I said, a lot of people still positioning their kids to school. Uh, some seasons getting going, playing seasons, athletic seasons, and also some people trying to squeeze out that last bit of vacation. We'll talk to Bill Dager coming up next in our weather for this upcoming weekend and week beyond segment. That's up next on Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. This podcast is sponsored by the NHTSA. Leaving a child in a hot vehicle can lead to their death very quickly. Look for your baby before you lock. Welcome back to Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com, episode 13. And as I said up at the top, I don't consider 13 unlucky because I was born on the 13th of the month of June. Here we are, well into August, summer slipping away, Bill Dager. It's been a long week, Bill, but, you know, we're not going to rub it in, but Bill chose wisely, right? A little bit on vacation for you, right? I did. Yeah. We went to the Outer Banks of North Carolina a couple of weeks ago and it didn't rain a single drop uh, while we were there. Yep. It rained the day before we got there, the day after we left. So uh, I was getting pats on the back uh, from my uh, family on that one. Yeah. I wasn't on my big vacation to Cape Cod. We had kind of a more down week than we've had. And really, you know, if you think about this summer, east of the mountains, been a lot of up and down. It's either been, especially along the eastern seaboard, way too cool. Think about some like Memorial Day weekend. Think about that. Then we had that kind of cool push right before 4th of July before it kind of rebounded. Or then it goes like supersonically hot and humid and nasty. And then a lot, maybe two thirds of the summers in between with all this unsettled weather. And that's where we're back to, especially Great Lakes Northeast. And it looks like that's a similar trend here going into this weekend, Bill. The summer to me has been incredibly nice periods of weather with low humidity, cool temperatures. And then we switch to a week where it's just stormy, incredibly humid, very warm. And 
it's kind of been back and forth. And uh, I think unsettled is the key word to, to use for the forecast, especially in the Northeast here as we head into the new week. We're going to have a couple of waves of showers and storms that'll make the temperature go up and down. The humidity will be uh, staying on the high side, not really seeing a, a break in that until maybe the middle part of the week briefly. And then tropical troubles to worry about as well as now we're heading into you didn't. September. You didn't. I'm right? sorry. Come on. We've all had a long week and a half, 10 days with Henri. You didn't do it. You didn't bring it up again, right? We're, 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 I thought we were going to have a law, Bill. What did you do? Come we on. We could have squeezed it in there the last 30 seconds and, and left I it know. hanging. Yeah. But it does look, and, and it's, I mean, I don't want to joke because, um, I mean, Henri, boy, we could spend about an hour talking about Henri and just the amazing differences in places where you were and then the second day of Henri with the rain on the second side. And I think folks are happy that, you know, we had three at once and now it kind of lulled, but it does look, Bill, like we're going to pick it up again here this weekend, probably at least one or two somethings named in the Atlantic Basin. Yeah, you know it's bad when the uh, the Hurricane Center outlook looks like a football play. You have these circles and arrows pointing in all different uh, oh, directions. <laughs> but that's uh, that's how it looks. We're gonna we're gonna start to turn the heat back up on in the tropics. The first uh, system moving into the Gulf of paramount concern early uh, in the week, and probably a few storms just spinning out in the Atlantic. Not really any threat to land, but uh, you know we'll be jotting them down and tracking those as well. One of the things you know if it's really hot and nasty in the eastern seaboard. There's usually a cool down occurring on the west, and that has been a little bit of a break for them that they've enjoyed here for a week or so. With these pushes, I think, of some cooler air that keep trying to keep us unsettled in the east, is the west going to start getting hotter again? Is the return to problems with heat and wildfires enhanced again out west? Yeah, you know, we're entering a peak wildfire season here over the next few weeks and months. So we're going to be hoping for some rain out west. Unfortunately, California, the northwest, where they really need the rain, not going to see it. But at least they've had that break in temperature. You mentioned uh, the northwest has been rather cool as of late. Seattle's had a few days in the 60s the past week and a half. Wow. Combine that uh, or compare that to the triple digit heat they had in late June. What a turnaround in just two months. The models were saying that the New England could have had some kind of a turnaround like that here this weekend with some cooler air coming in, at least for Saturday. But I don't want to get too detailed on the weekend because I think this weather pattern, you can get yourself in trouble trying to be too detailed past 24 hours. I think it looks like another potential bill to me for some drenching storms, which places I know being here in the Poconos don't need. Um, And that would all go all the way from maybe the Eastern Great Lakes into New York City later Friday into Saturday. There's some concern there that I'm seeing in the modeling as we record this, that people need to pay attention to the weather in the next couple of days. Absolutely. And you're right. It is hard to time out these thunderstorms. Uh, Just generally uh, keep keep it in the back of your mind if you have any outdoor plans that these storms will move through on occasion. Lots of ripples in the atmosphere. Moving over an area that does not need the rain. We just had some heavy rain in the Chicagoland area as of uh, Wednesday night into Thursday morning. We had, of course, all that rain with Henri in the Northeast. And these are the same areas that we'll be seeing these thunderstorms off and on for the next uh, five, seven days. And lots of humidity, lots of moisture in the atmosphere. So there's going to be downpours for sure with them. 
the best thing to do is keep it locked to your AccuWeather source, whether it's your AccuWeather app, which is a great source. I think people, especially with Henri, with the tracker that they saw where that real-time forecast for the AccuWeather forecast iPath was at all times. And then the other feature that I like is you get these notifications on storms that aren't necessarily already severe limits. You know, you're uh, stronger storms. You get some uh, in your neck of the woods if you put in your location, then you get alerts for that. And I think that's going to be really important, especially with these may not be severe storms in terms of getting to the threshold of damaging wind gusts, but they are certainly going to be drenching and creating the opportunity for flooding, uh, flash flooding, especially in some of these areas that are just so saturated and just don't need much. But if you look at the flash flood guidance in the Northeast, a lot of places are Less than an inch or an inch or so, wouldn't you say, Bill? Is that about a good thought there? Absolutely. Yeah, there's even some flash flood guidance of like a half inch. So oh, wow. not make much, uh, take much rain across a flooding. And also, you know, with people out trying to get the, the last few weeks of summer activities in lightning, also concern. And yeah. As soon as you hear thunder, just go inside. You're close enough to, to be impacted by lightning. When thunder roars, head indoors. Our friends at go. the National Lightning Safety Council, Bill Dager. It's good to see you and talk to you. Thank you, my friend. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon, Dean. Thank you. And as we come to the close of Episode 13 of our summer series here on Everything Under the Sun, I would like to bring in my great uh, colleagues, our executive production team that uh, I couldn't do this without, especially when I'm trying to do vacation and podcasting at the same time. It's uh, great to have uh, Ken Prell and Andrew Robb with me and gentlemen it's uh i tell you what everything that uh, we've been talking about the last few weeks uh, those news stories keep we hear about it i i'm really happy with the content that we've been trying to create to help people i've been feeling really good about talking about things and even getting ahead of the curve in some of these things about you know we talk about a little bit before they become even bigger national stories it's been really gratifying to work with you guys thanks so much for helping me do that it's been awesome for sure absolutely you know we've got uh, some things especially next week i wanted to get these guys on because our next week podcast has the opportunity for some interaction with you our listeners and uh we ran a poll just a week or so ago uh, a, a social media poll to kind of get an idea for we're going to do the three D's. We've been talking about this for a while. The three D's, myself, Dean, uh, Dave Dombeck, and Danielle Niddle, three D's. And with the three D's, we hope with a combination of that knowledge and wisdom and all that information that we can at least get an A answer. I mean, if you get three D's together, you should be able to get an A answer. And we <laughs> hope that uh, we do that. That's the concept. And uh, we got some ideas already, guys, right, for topics. And maybe we could get a few more questions to see if we could try to squeeze in. What That's do you think? That's right. Yeah, we're doing this as part of our Back to School series because, of course, uh, school is kicking off. So we figured we'd take an educational standpoint. Ask us what you always wanted to know about the weather. It could be anything, really. Like, what's a tornado? Where do hailstones come from? Anything like that. And our meteorologists, Dean included, uh, will be answering. It could be answered on this upcoming show. So it's going to be really exciting. And we and we know we've been building and we've asked people over the last several weeks and months since uh, we've set up this uh, email. And I think that's what we're going to do today, right? Uh, if you have a last-minute question or thing, or thought about something you'd like us to talk about on that episode, where can they email this episode and this uh, this great podcast and all of our podcasts, to be honest, right? 
Yeah, very simple. AccuWeather.podcast at AccuWeather.com. And you can also tweet us directly at AccuWeather. So write as a, as a direct Twitter message, Andy, is that what you're saying? Because, you know, sure. sometimes you can just, uh, you can just I, send okay. a tweet and just say, hey, at AccuWeather, I want to know what a thunderstorm is. You could do that directly to me, too, and follow my Twitter, uh, Dean PSUPA for the Devorecast, which, uh, you know, I think uh, it has a little bit of useful nugget information here, there, there. So, yeah. So this is it. Episode 13 summer series puts it in the books and we switch over to the back to school series. Next week, man, I'm back to sports announcing volleyball in Rec Hall. And then the following week, a Beaver Stadium football game. It's going to be uh, it's going to be a crazy time here coming soon. Good stuff all around. Thanks, guys. We appreciate your help. We appreciate the work of all of our hundreds of team members across the world that are working to weatherproof your life every day, whether it's on our AccuWeather app, our website, our AccuWeather network and all our great media partners. Thank you for being one of those great parts of our AccuWeather family here on our podcast. For Ken, for Andy, and for all our guests, I'm Dee DeVore. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week as we roll into the Back to School series right here on Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe to, rate, and review Everything Under the Sun on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And of course, if you have an idea for a future podcast, just email us at accuweather.podcast at accuweather.com.